John Cavanaugh once said we win or we learn, or at least I'm assuming he said that at one point since it's the title of his book. And today is all about the learning part because the 10 fighters on our list got some hard lessons on classic career pitfalls that are largely avoided and considered pitfalls for good reason. You often hear fans go on about these quote-unquote common sense avoidances, and in this video we're going to put some faces to these classically detrimental MMA tropes. Guess what? UFC 281 this weekend. Adesanya Pereira, Esparza, Zhang, Poirier Chandler. What a banger of a card. Banger of a card. And you know what else that means? My bookie is back, and they're offering to double your deposit when you first join to play with them. Currently, Israel Adesanya's the favorite. Oh, but he did lose twice, didn't he? Will it be Anne Still, or will there be a new champion? Use promo code MMA on point on sign up to claim your 50% match bonus. But you better act fast. <laughs> This is going to be the last time you can use a deposit bonus before UFC 281. More on this later, but for now... I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are the 10 biggest pitfalls that ruined fighters' careers. Number 10, refusing retirement. I think this one should have a caveat. It's also the reason it's number 10. I personally believe that fighting far past your prime should not affect your overall legacy. What you did when you were the best is what you did when you were the best. Everybody eventually declines. Every career sees a twilight. And so, yes, while there are exceptions like GSP and Habib, more often than not fighters continue to fight well past their peak, and many fans don't find that as a legacy-destroying thing. The reason it is an entry is because other fans do. Because of the likes of your GSPs and Habibs. Because of boxers with perfect or near-perfect careers, there is this thought in combat sports that sticking around and getting beat up can negatively affect your overall body of work. Anderson Silva comes to mind immediately, as does BJ Penn, but that one is just too sad. And he never had that god-tier status that the Spider did, and by that I mean that it seemed like he was never going to lose. Even after the scare against Chael, hell, because of how he pulled through there, it just seemed like there was no way the guy was ever going to lose. Then the Weidman fight happened, then the leg break, then he came back only to tarnish his legacy with a PED scandal after beating Nick Diaz, then the dark times. Five losses in six fights. Honestly, I don't think he should have got the judges nod in the Derek Brunson bout either. This invincible man was now very much human, and it just became sad to see, to the point where you hoped that he didn't get hurt too bad when he stepped into the cage, and yes, for many, it does tarnish his legacy. And now he's had his face beat up and been knocked down by a disgruntled Disney teen. The MMA gods have abandoned us entirely. Number 9. Powerful Enemies There are many parallels between pro wrestling and mixed martial arts, whether fans want to accept it or not, but one area where those two worlds do not coincide is in becoming mortal enemies with your boss. While Stone Cold Steve Austin can regularly physically assault WWE Chairman Vince McMahon, even going so far as hitting him over the head with a bedpan and sticking a catheter up his ass, that type of behavior would not be tolerated in mixed martial arts. In fact, as an independent contractor, you really don't want to be on your boss's bad side lest you find yourself hitting the bricks prematurely. Perhaps one of the best examples of this would be with Matt Riddle, who has incidentally moved on to pro wrestling. The tough Season 7 alum had a promising career in the UFC by the time he was eventually let go, amassing nine victories with only three losses, his last four bouts being wins on his way out. I say nine victories, but two of them would be overturned as a result of positive cannabis tests. So yeah, basically still nine wins just unofficially. So why was he let go, well, those two fails, which I would argue would not be that big of a problem for nearly any other fighter, ended up being the catalyst for Dana White's decision, but if you hear him talk about Riddle, as he did when he buried him on UFC tonight after his release, he clearly wasn't a fan. The reason he's not in the UFC anymore is because he could not pass a drug test. 
Riddle briefly continued to pursue his MMA career, but after saying he would decline a UFC return, White made it clear he would never be asked back. The pair are still not fans of each other, with Matt regularly, it would seem, in interviews having bad things to say about his former boss. Oh, fuck that dude, Dana White, you know? Number 8. The Greener Grass Fallacy There's absolutely a perception by fans that the UFC is as good as it gets, and I think to a large degree that is correct. They clearly have the best talent pool, and winning in the UFC is still very much the peak of the sport. It's not that you can't make an argument for being one of the pound-for-pound -pound best in the world in other promotions if you're incredibly dominant, but there will always be pushback on it because you're not competing with UFC talent. That perception often leads us to believe that fighters who are still top tier who choose to venture out into smaller ponds will absolutely dominate in any of the promotions that they choose to compete in, but that is oftentimes not the case. A perfect example is Benson Henderson, former UFC lightweight champion. He'd won four of his last six after dropping the title to Anthony Pettis. Still a perfectly viable contender, not only that, but since moving up to welterweight, he'd scored two victories in a row. However, Bendo opted to take his talents to Bellator and was met rightfully so with an immediate championship bout against Andre Korishkov. But in a stunning upset, Henderson would lose that title challenge via UD and less than a year later lose a lightweight title attempt against Michael Chandler. This would be followed up by a loss to Patricky Pitbull. And while I wouldn't say that Benson has had a bad run since then, he's won six of nine bouts. He's not fought for a Bellator title since, but does sit at number two in the lightweight rankings, so maybe he can turn it around. But he's a fantastic example that the grass isn't always greener in the other promotions. Number seven, the party life. While I'm sure there are more than a few fighters that come to mind when you think about how partying has negatively affected their careers, surely the first you thought of was the incredibly talented and equally flawed John Jones. JBJ is arguably the greatest fighter ever and still considered such by many. This is despite his unending issues in and out of the cage. While we could write a six-part Netflix series about Bones, since this entry is specifically about partying, let's focus on that aspect of the former light heavyweight champion's life. There are, of course, the obvious issues that arose, the DUIs, the early morning hit and run, as well as likely much of the erratic behavior we've seen from Jones outside of the cage. But John has famously explained that he would get blackout wasted prior to his fights just so he had an excuse if he were to ever lose. Um, I, I can look myself in the mirror and say that, well, I lost because I got hammered the week before the fight. That day amazingly never came, but it's hard to say that that lifestyle didn't eventually catch up with Jones in terms of his career longevity, and of course the multitude of suspensions and PR disasters that have come as a result of his troubles, not to mention of course the PED scandals, but that's another topic for another entry. Can you party your ass off and still be considered the best ever? Still take on all comers? It would appear so, but it's hard to argue that had John been clean and sober his entire career, that things might be a bit different today in terms of his overall legacy and what he was able to accomplish over the span of his career, which is in its late phases. Number six, burnout. Neil Young, Def Leppard, and the Kurgan all agree that it's better to burn out than to fade away. But is it really? Because there are fighters who have gone so hard in their careers, so hard in their training, taking countless beatings, fighting as many fights as they can in a year, just going full tilt nonstop, who did burn out instead of fade away. And while that's certainly a way to get yourself ahead and get noticed, the human body can only take so much punishment, and it seems that those fighters see career declines a bit earlier than their peers who have decided to pace themselves just a bit more. Vanderlei Silva is a fantastic example.
example, one of the most terrifying presences in the sport's history from one of its most notoriously brutal gyms, Shootabox Academy, the axe murderer very much lived up to his nickname over the course of his career, bulldozing his way through 39 bouts before returning to the UFC in 2007. And while his pride run is legendary, with only two ever losses in his actual division over the course of nearly 30 bouts, all those fights, especially the insane openweight challenges he took on, in addition to his legendarily brutal training methodology, saw Silva decline far faster and earlier than one would expect from a fighter of his caliber. In 2005, considered possibly the best fighter in the world, that next year Vandy would be KO'd twice on his way out of pride and lose five of his eight bouts in the UFC, his run in the promotion largely disappointing to many fans who saw him in his prime in Japan. Now, maybe he wouldn't have had such a legacy had he not gone as hard as he did, but it's tough to say that it didn't catch up with him in the long run, given how the remaining decade of his career would turn out. Number five, career advocacy. Some fighters truly need a hype man. They need their own Paul Heyman to do their post-fight interviews for them, to go on podcasts and do the media rounds, to regularly utilize their social media to engage with the fans and stir things up with other talent. Because one of the worst things you can do in this sport is not be your own biggest career advocate. Now, unlike other entries where we had one specific example, this topic is a bit more challenging because we're essentially talking about opportunities that a fighter didn't get. So it's not easy to point to something that doesn't exist. But look at the likes of Leon Edwards, for example. Absolutely an incredible talent, but not particularly good at playing the promotional game. And as a result, fans just weren't behind him. They didn't really care that much if he deserved a title fight far before he actually got it, because they didn't really have much reason to root for him. And it wasn't as if his style in the cage was doing him any favors. When Demetrius Johnson finally advocated for himself late in his UFC run, it was unfortunately too little too late, with fans largely wondering why he didn't want that fight with Dillashaw, and it's because he rarely engaged in that kind of self-advocacy in the past. So fighters, say what you want, tell everybody regularly, make call-outs, do interviews, be somebody we care about. This is all shit that doesn't require anything but being somebody we're interested in, and it can prevent you from having to win 19 fights straight just to get a title challenge. Number four, never evolving. As Brad Pitt said in Moneyball, adapt or die. The evolution of mixed martial arts over the very brief time that it has existed has been incredibly rapid. From the early days where fighters only knew the discipline they came into the sport with, to many of the newer talent today entering the cage with no martial arts background, training UFC right out of the gate. It's not a sport that will allow complacency in training techniques, in understanding other disciplines that have proved effective, and if you show up with an antiquated approach, you're likely to find your career tanking. Ken Shamrock is a pioneer of mixed martial arts, with his Lions Den gym serving as one of the original premier teams in the early years of the sport. Having come from the world of Japanese pro wrestling, Ken's gym was modeled very much after the culture of the dojos he came up in. But in time, Shamrock's legendarily brutal training methodology was surpassed by far more efficient and comprehensive techniques, and the world's most dangerous man as well as his gym were unable to adapt. As a result, both would see a considerable decline following their peak in the formative days of the sport, with Ken only surviving on name value after 1996. Shamrock's stint as a coach on Tough is largely considered one of the worst in the show's history, with his team getting utterly decimated, the only surviving member to make it to the finals despite two of his team getting unearned slots in the semis, Ed Herman. Ken's career decline, as well as the decline of the once mighty Lion's Den, are perfect examples of why evolving with the times is so important. Number three, Rocky Three Syndrome. Full disclosure, I'm not sure if anybody else calls this Rocky Three Syndrome, but I do. By the third film, Stallone's boxer has been champion for a long time. He's got money, the fame, and plenty of opportunities outside of the ring. As a result, he's gotten soft and doesn't even realize it, and so a hungry up-and-comer easily dethrones 
owns him. It's a tale as old as combat sports. You get to the top and you get complacent. Now in Rocky 3, Balboa gets his shit together and regains his title. But to quote Jay-Z, this ain't a movie, dog. And that was not the case for Tyron Woodley, who had one of the steeper career declines in recent memory. Going into his title defense against Kamaru Usman, there were discussions about T-Wood's place as an all-time great. But by his own admission, Woodley, who was acting, producing music, and hosting television, got complacent. The focus and drive wasn't there. He was training just as much, but going through the motions, something he has cited as the reason for his decline. The result would be four devastating losses in a row that, fair or not, have greatly affected his legacy. Then there was the Jake Paul KO. A loss Woodley has explained came after working 14-hour days on the set of Cobra Kai, burning himself out trying to train at 3 a.m. in the two weeks leading up to the fight. Complacency may come for all longtime champs, but Woodley's story shows how devastating the results can be. Number two, PED scandal. We finally got to it. Referenced twice in this video previous, a PED scandal can truly derail a career. I say scandal because the important thing is that you got caught red-handed. I'm sure there are a bunch of fighters that are regularly sipping on the secret juice, but that's always, of course, speculation. Hell, even if you do get caught, a lot of fans will buy your many excuses like bad boner drugs or tainted protein powder. TJ Dillashaw did not have that luxury. He got caught straight up using EPO following his fight with Henry Cejudo. He admitted it. There's no question whatsoever that it happened. And as a result, Dillashaw's reputation in the sport has taken a massive hit. His two title runs at Bantamweight now in question. How often was he using PEDs in the past? There were accusations by former teammates, so when he did finally get caught, it just confirmed so much of that stuff in many fans' eyes. Oh yeah, the guy's on everything. It's on everything. Not to mention the breakup he had with Team Alpha truly painted Tyler as the villain. Every day I wake up and I hope you're dead! And so the EPO stuff kind of just brought back the idea that Dillashaw is a bit of a shady character. More so than any fighter I have ever seen, TJ's reputation shows truly how much damage a PED scandal can do in an otherwise absolutely top-tier career inside the cage. Number 1. Hard Weight Cuts The danger in the cage is so very obvious to anybody that watches the sport. Fighters are sending baseball bats in the form of their shins to the side of an opponent's dome, it doesn't take a medical degree to deduce that that's probably not good for you. But sometimes there's far more career danger just getting to the fights because of the unstoppable weight cut culture this sport has normalized. Largely adapted from amateur wrestling, it can be a considerable advantage to cut weight and rehydrate come fight night, but some weight cuts are much harder than others, and some fighters aren't as disciplined between camps. As a result, putting their bodies through these massive cuts takes a toll in time. If the phrase weight cutting disasters was featured in the dictionary, the picture that went along with it would be of Johnny Hendricks with his hands over his face on the scale. Big Rig, who by 2015 had been cutting weight for nearly 15 years, found it increasingly hard to cut what he needed, as by the admission of his own team, he sometimes let himself indulge a bit between camps. This would result in a staggering rapid decline of his career, from arguably having never lost but to Rick's story, including all three title fights, to losing five of his last seven with major weight cutting related issues on four separate occasions just a year after being at the top, and all of this eventually forced him into retirement. It's cautionary tales like this one that have some fans concerned over Patty the Batty's post-fight habits, but only time will tell if he falls victim to the same issues or continues to thrive regardless. Thank you to MyBookie for sponsoring this video, and they got a banger of a deal before UFC 281. Use promo code MMA on point on sign up to claim your 50% match bonus. But you better act fast because this is the last time you're going to get to use it before UFC 281. We already know that the best sport to bet on is MMA, and the number one place to do that is with MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere 
with my bookie. Speaking of thriving, Ben Rosette can't miss with the tunes. A huge shout out to my man here. Please follow him on his socials. And if you enjoyed today's video, please like and subscribe. It's always a big help for us. Any other career pitfalls we regularly see fighters succumb to? Please let us know in the comments below. And thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.